Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Episode 7. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today I am welcoming Emily, and that is not her real name, and you will understand why she doesn't want to share it as you listen to her story. She has such a heart for Jesus. She has such a heart for being authentic and real. She has gone through a very difficult trial and come through restoried on the other side. I know that her story is going to be an encouragement to you today, so let's listen to Emily's story. All right, I am in the studio today with Emily, and it's not Emily's real name, but uh, she is with me because she has a sensitive story to tell and one that's really hard to share. When my husband Patrick and I were, uh, when he was going to seminary, we ended up having to shelter someone from domestic violence, um, and her husband was a seminary student. And so we started to realize that this is an issue that isn't just all over the place. It is in the church. And in fact, I think it's worse when it's in the church because we just think that it can't happen there or we just trust people too much, or I'm not really sure exactly all the reasons, but I'm really excited to have Emily on today and to share her story. So Emily, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Mary. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So I'm going to take you back to a long time ago, and I know that this is a difficult story to tell, and you've shared it with me before, but when you first met your pre-husband way back when, what were some of the things that what attracted you to him and what's kind of your story of getting together and uh, engaged and married? Yeah, that is a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Think way back. <laughs> I know that one of the things that attracted me to him, first off, just intelligence. He um, is very, very, very smart, is very, very smart. And this incredible compassion for people uh, that he didn't know. That's what I remember. I remember sitting in the car one time and he was just weeping about the pains of people that he, you know, in Africa who don't have enough food and the children who are starving and just this compassion. It touched me to see someone who cared so deeply for people. Uh, you know, most of our courtship was done via mail, <laughs> which can be dangerous because you can write whatever you want. You can edit, you can throw away the things that, you know, the letters that aren't great and don't send those. But anyway, so uh, after I was gone for a, a summer on mission and had received letters throughout the summer. Um, how, how old were you at this time? I was in college and uh, 20. I was okay. 20. And I had never dated much, so I didn't really have much experience with 
with any of that. So anyway, uh, he proposed after we got after I got back, and I you had seen each other, right? I mean, you you had yes. already met. Okay, we had already met in college. Okay, and so I guess we dated for about the total time that we dated and were engaged was like a year and a half. So you know, it felt like sufficient time sure. to, to get to know the person. By the time we were actually getting married. I didn't want to marry him, mm. but I felt trapped. And I think that's just part of being young and naive and not understanding what <laughs> you know a commitment like that means. And uh, I remember the day of the wedding, uh, just wanting to get it over with and hoping my dad would walk me quickly down the aisle so I could just get it over with. And mm. it's been a red flag, but... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I don't know, it's one of those ridiculous things that we think in Christianity. I've said something, I've made a commitment, everybody knows, I can't go back, you know, and I I couldn't even put my finger completely on what it was that um, I had seen some angry outbursts, but none of them had ever been directed at me, so I didn't, I guess I, I was naive, I didn't think that that would ever turn into anything, but... You know, on on my on our wedding night, I found out that it can turn directly onto you. <laughs> on your first night, yeah. wow, that is so stark! Like, what a surprise! Not a good one. No, no, not a good surprise at all. Wow. So, did you do something to make him angry, or did it? He was just upset, or? Yeah, um, no, I didn't do anything to make him angry. Right, I mean, obviously, when we're in those kind of relationships, it's hard to know what, you know, makes people angry. I totally get that. <laughs> so, but, so you're walking down the aisle and you're thinking, let's just this. get this over with. And then your wedding night, there's this stark reality of this man who cries for the world's needs and suddenly turns on you. What did you, did you think in your mind, well, maybe this can change or maybe I can change or or did you just have despair or what was kind of your thought? Boy, everything. Okay, so by that time I was 21, just barely 21 and had never even been in a friendship or anything that had arguing. I mean, we wow. just, my whole family, everything was very calm and quiet and peaceful and so to all of a sudden be in a situation where someone was violent was I was just in shock for quite mm. a while. I I didn't I mean I was spinning. I didn't know what had happened. Um so you know I didn't even <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember thinking I think it was 10 days into the marriage and I remember thinking can only Catholics get annulments? Mm. I'm not Catholic. How do you do that? I didn't even know. That's the only. That's the only thought I remember thinking is, you know, oh my goodness, what have I done, and how do I get out of this? But I certainly didn't understand what was happening. Right, you were probably going through some sort of shock and trauma, and so I'm guessing that I don't know your entire story, but I'm guessing you didn't reach out for help at that moment. So what prevented you from doing that, other than the fact that you were in trauma and you couldn't process it, which is obvious. I think that was the big thing was just trauma and, and shock. Uh, fear. Also, I'm sure there was pride involved. I made this decision. You know, I'm the one who chose this. So I made my bed. I should lie in it. There was a, a whole bunch of things. But there, the, the first time I did go and say something, we had been married for, I don't know, a few years, two or three years. 
maybe even more. I'm not exactly sure. It was somewhere in there. And I finally got the courage to go to some friends that I had known for years. And the girl, the wife, was a friend of mine. And so I went to them and I told them what was happening. And it was, it was a, we will pray for you, goodbye, and out the door. Oh, no. And it was, it was so fast and so quick. And it told me, you don't talk about this. Right. You don't say anything about this. This is, and then, the, and then I tried one other time with someone else, and she stopped me before I even said anything. Said, that is between you and your husband, and I hear it. It was like, okay, so the two times I tried early on, it was, don't, don't say anything. You know, you, this is private. And what do you think? And I, I think the church still has a lot to learn today. But you know, this was several years ago. Well, what would have been really awesome for you if you had told the first time and gotten a positive? What would a positive or a helpful response have been to you? Well, first off, that that couple um, has since twenty years later came to me and said, "Oh, we are so sorry. Mm. We don't understand what domestic violence is. We didn't get it now. You know, after twenty years in ministry, they they get it now, and and they had carried that with them that whole time." Mm. And, and that was amazing. I didn't, I didn't expect that uh, from them, but it was great. Anyway, what would have made a difference? I, I think just knowing that someone helping me understand that I wasn't just crazy, that I wasn't just being oversensitive, mm-hmm. <laughs> complaining, um, you know, somebody who could say, uh, let's value you and your safety, because that's huge. I didn't even understand that concept at all, that I was worth not being mm. abused. I, I, even though I hadn't grown up that way, I just forgive and forgive and submit kind of thing in Christianity can confuse your mind and make you think, okay, well, I guess even though that wasn't right for him to do that, I guess I just forgive him and let him continue to do that, which was obviously an error. But um, what would have made a difference? I think somebody just listening to me and, and recognizing that there was really something going on. That, that's the first step. It would have been huge. That would have been really amazing. And uh, your story would be different today if someone had done that for you. And so my encouragement for everyone else out there listening is, is please just listen. Don't make a judgment about someone's you know, scary situation, but just listen and dignify. And, and I think what you said, Emily, is just this importance of worth in the middle of all this. And that's work that you had to do and you're still doing today. So you were in two years when you finally shared. And then how did things progress from there? Well, um, just continued on. We went on the mission field like all good Christians do. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> Take this crazy, wild, volatile marriage and let's go overseas with it because it's easy to go overseas. There's no yeah. pressure there and stress. <laughs> yeah, whatsoever. And I think part of that was me, me recognizing or, or thinking that I was recognizing, well, he needs a sense of purpose. He had had a hard time finding it. Work and keeping work. So I thought, well, maybe... You know, when people don't feel good about themselves, they take it out on somebody else. And I I still believe all that was very true. Um, But I was trying to fix it by, okay, well, let's find something meaningful. And so I know I I kind of pushed that idea, yeah, crazy. 
so yeah, we went on the mission field. <laughs> uh, it got worse. Um, that does not surprise me. Okay, so you got on the mission field and everything was roses and <laughs> no, and everything got worse. So then you're even more isolated, I would imagine, on the mission field. So then how did you, what were some of the next things that happened that maybe made you scared or made you change your mind about maybe pursuing again or trying again to get free or safe? Well, <laughs> yeah, I do remember when we were on the mission field and some things came out in the light and they sent us to a counselor and yeah, he threatened to kill me mm. <laughs> in front of the counselor and she decided that this was too much for her. So she just sent us home. No. And that was scary because I didn't know. I, yeah. I didn't understand I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And that must have just terrified you because he's made this, not only did he make this statement toward you, but in public to someone who's supposed to be able to help you. And in a sense, he won because she didn't deal with it. So then what did you find looking back on this? Because now you're more whole. What did you find yourself doing during that period in your marriage emotionally and for yourself? Like, did you retreat into yourself or how did that look? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's that desire to become as small as you possibly can. And I did that both emotionally and physically. I, I, I remember when we left one, one mission field, cause we went on two. I remember when we left one, I think I was 89 pounds. Mm-mm. Being five five, that's not mm -mm. good. So, you know, I think I, I think I wanted to become small enough that I could slip through the cracks in the floor or something. I don't know. It wasn't logical. It was, uh, the, you know, the only two things I seemed to have control over were my eating and my hair. And so mm. my hair was getting shorter. I kept cutting it and cutting it and cutting. It. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I have long hair now, and that mm. is a and I don't weigh 89 pounds. <laughs> but yeah, that desire to disappear because you don't know what you can't do anything. And you've tried and you don't, you begin to lose that, even that understanding that you're worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is. Right. No one would go out of their way to help you or even slightly inconvenience themselves for you. And that to me is, you know, the that's the tragedy of the whole thing is if you had found a safe place, you know, there would be less of this story and it makes me mad on your behalf and I want to go beat up people, but then, then I wouldn't be a very nice person either. So. <laughs> For the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. Today, I suggest that you try Life in Defiance, and that is one of the books that I've written. It's a novel, and it closely relates to Emily's story today. So you can either pick up Life in Defiance or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for a brand spanking new free audiobook. So you're on your second mission field, and... What, uh, and you're trying to slip into the cracks of the floor, where is God in the midst of all this? And how are you kind of coping with that? You know, in my 
understanding. I, I believed that God was faithful and God was present and, and uh, all of that, but it wasn't... Um, I still had the, or I had grown into pretty much a victim mentality of being helpless. I, I was, in a lot of ways. I was helpless and hopeless, and I didn't, I couldn't see clearly. I mean, I can see that now, that I, I was so blind. Um, but the last two years, so the last mission field was the end of the marriage. And, the and how last, many how many years had you been married up until the till the end. So how many years total? Uh, total was 11. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. So the last two years, I, God did some amazing things to uh, show me his presence and to show me um, his faithfulness. And I, I transitioned from being the victim, taking, taking, being taken advantage of to um, being more of a whole person and recognizing that God's sadness for what was happening to me was not just his sadness for what was happening to me, but also was his sadness looking at his other child, his son, mm. who was doing this and how it grieved him for both of us. And that was a real transition in in my understanding to have compassion on on my husband at the time, but not, you know, and recognizing that I was allowing these things, you know, that whole enabling thing, I was allowing him to continue in sin by staying present. And we had had um, children by then, and when things began to happen to them, there's an amazing story about how God moved us out of that situation. It was truly a miracle situation that he moved us out of that situation but by but by but by the time he was ready to do that miracle he had shown me that he was faithful and that he was present and I was no longer the victim I was someone who was loved and had uh, value and worth and that was the beginning of the change I think and so you, was there like an aha moment where you, because you know, you did escape. And so was there like, a, okay, that's enough. I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm leaving. God, get me out of this situation. Did that happen? Or was it a slow, gradual kind of aha? Well, it was, a, that's part of the miracle, the way that God moved some people into our lives that, um, it's it's crazy how it happened, and I, I, I don't want to be too specific about sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, but it really was a miracle that these people came into our lives, and it, it turns out that I was the eighth woman that they had helped mm. out of an abusive situation. And that's not their job. It's just what God was doing, using them for. And since then, it's been a number of women that he has used them uh, he just puts them there's these are some extremely devout Christians and very obedient to God and he tells them I want you to go here and I want you to go there and they do and then it turns out that this is what there's somebody in need right there I don't know it's amazing so yeah there was a moment sitting down reading scripture with the wife and recognizing um, reading God's word in a different way reading it to understand the the fact that I was not loving my husband mm. by allowing him to continue in this, 
I didn't understand what that meant before. I thought that there was love in forgiving someone. Of course, there is love in forgiving someone, but not in the way of, okay, keep doing it, and I'll keep being nice and not have any any of the natural consequences. You know, when somebody throws something at you, you don't necessarily want to stay in the room with them. That's kind of a natural consequence. So anyway, reading scripture in a different light was was huge. Yeah, that's that's an amazing thing. And I was talking to someone recently and they had a real turnaround, stressful story and their turnaround also came right in the middle of reading scripture. And I just think it's so important. Then I also think about like if your husband had thrown something at someone in public, there would have been a definite circumstance, you know, that there'd be repercussions to that act. And so you're right. I mean, learning that it's not loving to allow abuse because you're not allowing that person to be the best they're supposed to be is a huge revelation. And it takes a long time, I think, to get to that point. And so you got to that point, And then you, you said that God miraculously kind of rescued you. How, what can you share about that part of the story that will be encouraging to others to listen? Well, I think that the big thing is that God is faithful. So it, you were on the field at the time and you had to go back, I'm guessing, to the States and your, from what I remember of your story, your family didn't yet know or did they start knowing? Okay, they, so they didn't yet know that you were going through all of this. No, they didn't know until I told them after mm. we went back, after the, uh, my kids and I were back in the United States. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that, that God loves you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is biggest thing I don't know I don't know how else to, how else to say it but that he is so in love with us and that he sees us as so precious and valuable each one of us you know my ex-husband is so valuable and so loved by God not what he did mm-hmm. but who he is and that I am and that our children are and I, I to me that's just the biggest thing if you don't understand that God loves you, you cannot take his grace. And Mm -hmm. just because you don't understand it. And I know that personally. And so when you when you got back and you started to get well, or have some closure and distance, were there things now that you can look back on and see, did your husband have some sort of psychological issue going in? Did he have some sort of childhood that you know, were there warning signs you could have seen now that you wish you would have seen in retrospect? What do you kind of know? a little bit more now than you didn't know in the middle of the situation. Yeah, I'm sure there's some, I mean, it's been years. And so I've seen that there's been continued struggles for him in life. And I'm no psychologist, so I can't uh, pinpoint what they are. But I know that there are issues. There are things that I should have, should have, I don't know if that's the right word, I could have caught. um, But of course, I was young and I didn't know any of it. And in the middle of it, I didn't know either. I was so, I was swirling all the time, you know, for 10 years, basically. Just no rug under my feet. You know, just survival mode. Right. And so when you got home and your family found out, how did they respond and how were they maybe a part of your healing journey? Well, um, probably, how did they respond? Well, it was obviously painful for them. There was anger, which is understandable, mm. uh, very protective of me and the children. I remember, I don't remember if it was Psalm 31, I can't remember, 
Um, but I do remember my dad um, <laughs> just reading the psalm out loud and all of us just crying. My mm. mom had an eye, the three of us sitting in the room. And that was probably just such a healing thing. It actually, the psalm, whichever one it was, it actually had some things about an enemy and an enemy being like crushed or something. Mm. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but it was very healing. And I think for me, as far as healing goes, probably the biggest moment was I, there were, I had, it was a couple of years after the divorce and I had gone to, I was teaching school uh, for a Christian school and we had been sent to a, I don't know, workshop or something like that. And there was a session in the workshop uh, that was, I don't know what, I don't know what it was doing there, but it was amazing. It was about healing. And I sat through the lecture and thought it was just absolutely wonderful. And she invited people to stay afterwards to pray with her if we wanted to. And I could not get out of my chair. I just was stuck there. Hmm. And, um, we sat and prayed, and there were about five of us who had stayed. And I, I don't know, I, I don't experience this kind of thing. I never have or before or since. But what happened is we were praying, my eyes were closed, and I just had like a slideshow go through my mind of every situation in which I had been physically abused by my former husband. And they just, they just, they just slide, just slide, slide, mm. slide, slide of all of these scenes. And then, and it's as though God took me back and said, okay, let's watch that slideshow again. And this time I saw, it wasn't just me and my ex-husband. I saw where the Lord was standing in each one of those situations. Mm. I could see his face in each one of those. And I could see the pain in his eyes for me and for my ex-husband the pain of what was happening with his children and how he didn't want that to happen and I remember probably the most profound one was from a moment in which I thought I was going to die and I had my um, back against the wall and um, his hands were around my throat and my feet were off the floor mm. so I was completely helpless and I thought that was it. I remember breathing one more time, and I thought, well, okay. And then I just kind of had resigned to that. And whatever, I don't know why, but he let go of me. And at that time, the stairs were right to my left, and the door to outside was to my right. And what I did when he let go is I ran up the stairs and went to the bathroom and locked the door and hid in the bathroom. That was my response. But in this new picture that God gave me, um, instead of that, he, Jesus was standing right to my right at the door, and he had the door open and he was offering to let me go out the door with him in safety and in life. And I think that was his desire that I be, that I understand, that I understood that I was being treated badly, that I, that I, that I was worth being saved. Mm. I didn't have to go and hide in the dark and lock myself away, but that I could be set free and that I was worth that. I was worth him saving. You know, for every picture of 
abuse in my in my head. It was it was amazing. It was an amazing thing. They just all flashed through my head, and I saw where the Lord was in each one of those. And uh, that was truly healing for me. It was amazing. That is amazing. It's just so cool to see how it's it's hard to look back on trauma and think, well, where was God? I mean, we I think that's a pretty common or be in the middle of trauma and say, where was God? But that is such a beautiful gift for someone to pray for you and have that that sense of he was there. And he, of course, it makes logical sense as an omnipotent, you know, omnipresent type God. <laughs> he would have been there. But you also kind of wonder maybe sometimes why wasn't I rescued? But then you look back on your story and think of what, you know, what you learned in the aftermath math of that. And so that's my next question is this is a this is a podcast about story and so how as you look back on that story and you look at your story today how did God kind of use that painful story to restore you today not only to restore you but to give you a new story. Well, I think the thing that keeps coming back to me is that I am worth mm-hmm. saving and I'm worth his love and it doesn't even have to be that he took me out of the situation that I was worth saving, but that I, he, was, he loves me and he's with me. He's never abandoned me. And, you know, as, as you know, I, I, I didn't get saved that day. You know, I didn't get saved from that situation as far as, I mean, I didn't die, but I continued to live in that for years and years. And I think looking back, I must not have understood in besides in my head. It hadn't made it down to my heart that God loved me, really. And um, it's like, wow, I must have been stubborn because <laughs> it took a lot for, for that message to make it through. And it's still making it through. I still have those thoughts of worthlessness and those still are there. But, but I know that God is faithful. I know that God is present. I know that he is never abandoned me and never will. And I think that was huge. I love that your being restored and restored comes back to love and basking in the Father's love. I think that's something all of us humans battle. I battle it too. You and I have talked about this, you know, about worth and uh, wrote a book about it. So um, it's a huge thing. And so what, what would you say, let's say there's someone listening to this podcast today who is in a violent marriage and they are staying in it because they they don't want a divorce. They don't want the stigma of that. Maybe they're in a church that, you know, encourages them to stay in it for whatever reason. Um, What kind of encouragement or words do you have for someone in that situation? I mean, there's only so much you can say. These things have to penetrate into our hearts, and it's usually not just by somebody saying it. Sure. You know, the thing that I would would really seek to, to learn God's character and and to really absorb and abide with him and understand his love for you because at that point i think i think that's the point at which you begin to see things more clearly when you are grounded in his love for you and your worth in his eyes it's like then things begin to become so much clearer and um i you know i wouldn't I wouldn't want to say, well, you should do this or you should do that as far as the marriage goes. Although I would say talk to somebody, um, but that doesn't always prove to be, doesn't always change things. But, um, but you're worth that. You're worth taking that risk. 
and uh, that you know just to understand that God loves you. I know that sounds so trite, but it's so profound. It is. It is. And there's no end to your story because you're alive right now and you haven't died. So I don't want to say the end of your story is, and she lived happily ever after because we all have mess in our lives every single day. But the other part of your story is that you did meet somebody else and you are remarried. And how has that been good for you? Or what has God taught you through that remarriage? That's another miracle. God is so good. He's good all the time. But I I have understood now what it is to be in a relationship that is loving. And yeah, I, gosh, I don't even, my words escape me. I'm just so thankful. I have a wonderful husband who's, who also has been through a, a difficult uh, divorce. And so, um, and he too understands his worth to God. And I, I just feel like that makes such a difference in how you treat one another and how you love one another when you understand that you are loved you are worthy and you are of value and you are precious to God, then you can love others. It's amazing. We love because he first loved us. And we have to have that demonstrated to us before we can demonstrate it to others, that great knowing of being loved. Well, I just really appreciate Emily sharing her story. Thank you for just being vulnerable. I know that's a, it's a really hard story to tell and other people have that story too. And it's, it's a painful one, but I'm so grateful that you landed in a, the soft spot of God's love and that you have lived this restory adventure. And as I, I just wanted to let you know, Emily, that as I was praying about it, I'm, I'm doing this podcast in a completely different way than what I did before. Before I would think of things to say and then I would say them. This one I'm interviewing people. But instead of trying to make it happen or chase after people, I've been praying that God would put people in my mind of who he wanted on this podcast. And so you are an answer to prayer and your story is one that has deeply affected me and I have just seen Christ in you. And so just thank you for sharing your heart and your story today. That's awesome, Mary. Thank you. I'm so glad. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Restory. Do you mind if I pray for you? Oh Lord, what a story that we've listened to today. And yet we see faithfulness on Emily's part and we see your faithfulness in drawing her close to you in some of the most dangerous places that someone could imagine. You are the God who rescues. You are the God who reaches your hand down into the miry pit and you pull us out and you put our feet on a rock and you make our footsteps firm. Thank you for doing that in Emily's life, and I pray for those listening today where this story has touched a nerve. Maybe it's helped someone to recognize a friend who's going through something similar, or maybe, maybe just maybe this is echoing a little too close to home. Father, would you be the one who sheds true light and gives great wisdom, and would you bring rescue where that is necessary, and would you help those of us in the body of Christ to be true and genuine listeners, to not judge, to not dismiss like Emily experienced so shockingly, but to actually walk alongside, to hear, to listen, to ask clarifying questions, and to really engage in a hurting world. There are so many people like Emily out there, Lord, and we just want to be your light, your salt, and we want to be your arms and and your feet in this very desperate world that we live in. Thank you for restoring Emily, and I pray today that her story would help us all just to fall more in love with you and your ways. Thank you so much. I pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com forward slash seven. And may you live a brand new story this week.